Thank you for joining us for the Local Church Podcast. At Local Church, we value each person's unique experience with faith and hope this message impacts you today. Well, how's it going, everybody? Welcome to church today. We are in a seven-week series called We Are Local, and we've been talking about a whole different bunch of topics, really values that we have as a church, and uh, we're in a growth season in the church, so it's nice to... uh, I guess, preach what, what we love and what we value so that you sitting there as a part of our online campus can soak in all the things that it means to be a part of local church. And so today we're gonna to talk about serve local, this, this value or this concept of servanthood. And if you're taking notes today, you could write down the title of the message. It's simply called Following a Servant. And if you have a Bible, grab it out, otherwise it will come up on the screen in Matthew 20, 20 through 27, this passage of scripture here, this chapter is entitled, A Mother's Request. Let's dive in. Then the mother of uh, Zebedee's sons, another, another translation calls these guys the, the sons of thunder, came to Jesus, that's James and John, they came to Jesus with her and with her sons and they knelt down to make a request of him. What do you want? He inquired. She answered, declare that in your kingdom, one of these sons may sit at your right and the other at your left. You do not know what you are asking, Jesus replied. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, the brothers answered. You will indeed drink my cup, Jesus said, but to sit at my right or my left is not mine to grant. These seats belong to those whom my father has prepared them. The Bible goes on to say this. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them aside and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over you, Uh, and their superiors exercise authority over them. It shall not be like this among you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, uh, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. John 10, 17 says, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life and take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Thank you, Jesus, for your your word, for the Bible that it can impact our lives. We pray by revelation, a rhema, a quickened word. Speak to your people today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Olympics are on and the Olympics are awesome. I don't know anyone that doesn't like the Olympics. If you know someone, don't bring them to me because I'll spend a long time convincing them that it's one of the greatest things as a human race that we do. The Olympics is about peak athletes at their very best. It's been awesome to watch athletes, Andre de Grasse, one example, running the Olympic gold uh, for, for Canada in the 200 meter sprint men's, that he was able to run a Canadian record in that race and run the fastest 200 meter in the Olympics since Usain Bolt's uh, Rio, um, Rio race, that this man was able to achieve these great feats, a peak athlete at the peak of his powers. The first Canadian in almost 100 years to win that event in gold. Damien Warner, the decathlon gold. Maggie McNeil, the first gold at this year's Olympics in Tokyo, the 100-meter butterfly. 
Catherine Switzer once said, if you ever are losing faith in human nature, go out and watch a marathon. Historic great athletes are so astounding that they don't even need two names like Pele or Madonna or Cher. They only need one name, Owens, Bolt, Phelps, Biles, to name just a few. The Olympics are a time to come together to celebrate the overcoming of obstacles, to celebrate human nature and the human will in action, the culmination of training, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. However, I think that we've got to be careful because the Olympics and sport in general can sell us what I think is a false narrative. That the story of sport is simple and they make it look easy. Work hard, compete hard, and finish first. In sport, that is greatness. I think Michael Phelps has 28 Olympic medals. I think 24 or 26 of them, maybe even 27 of them, are Olympic gold. And we love it. I love it. I don't know many people that love sport more than I do. Don't think for one minute that when a Canadian hockey team wins the Stanley Cup finally after a 30-year wait that I won't go out and run a personal best marathon time. I will be fizzing. But for us as Christians, this can create, I think, a tension that we need to talk about. It can create a tension that in sports, to succeed to be the best, to, stop at the, to stand at the top of the podium, to hear your national anthem is the greatest achievement for you as an athlete to be first, and that's fine, and I've got no issue with that. But in this passage, we read a totally different perspective of what success looks like. The mother of James and John comes and has a strange request of Jesus, and let me read it to you again. Declare, to, declare that in your kingdom, one of these of my two sons will be at your right and the other at your left. Cue the podium, in other words. It, it really, to paraphrase, she's saying, Jesus, I mean, you're gold, clearly, you're the Messiah, that's fine. We're not taking anything away from you. But can my son have silver and the other have bronze on the podium in your kingdom? Like, who does that? I've always found this to be a really interesting classic mum move. The other day I was running with a friend and my friend that I was running with, we run for a couple of hours together. He's not walking with Jesus, doesn't know much about the church or what we do as pastors or here as a community here at local. And he says, all right, man, give it to me straight. I, I wanna know everything about the faith, and we've got some time today, so talk to me. So I said, okay, well, well let's, let's go the long way around. So I started at Genesis, talked to him about the Israelites, the Jews, the Hebrews, talked to him about the theocracy that was God setting up a people group that would express to the world what it was to walk with Yahweh. I talked to him about Judaism, then about Christian Judaism, you know, uh, Judaism and, and, and Christ-centric views, how that can impact the world and societies that have been built, about the birth of Jesus. We got to the end of the New Testament and I said, so like Abraham and Moses, you know, I guess are like top dogs. He goes, yeah, okay. So Abraham and Moses in the old. We talked about the New Testament, about the birth of Jesus, the start of the early church, the birth of our faith. That, that is a, a, a spin-off or a growth out of Judaism. And he starts to talk about what, what that means for him. And he says, okay, so Abraham and Moses and in the New Testament, Jesus and Paul, top dogs. I was like, yeah, well, that's a good way to look at it. We began to talk and I'm like, yeah, I guess so. But when you think about this mum, this classic mum has decided to usurp all of these other characters, all these Abrahams and Moseses and Elijahs and the Apostle Paul and decided that her sons should skip that cue and be on the podium with Jesus. And Jesus sums up the whole dialogue with this immense challenge to us. And he says this, Instead, whoever wants to be great 
among you must be your servant. In other words, Jesus is saying the most important person at the Olympics is probably the person that grabs the baton after the athletes have finished with it, sanitizes it, and put it, put it back, put it, puts it back in the box. That whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Ephesians 5, 21 through 28 in the message says this, The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not by getting. Let me, let me read that from the top. A husband provides leadership to his wife. Now keep reading. The way that Christ does for the church. Wives are called to submit and surrender and husbands to serve and sacrifice. The Bible says here that, and I think that a lot of husbands can reread this because we like to emphasize the submission part, which I think is to our folly and to our fault. But when teaching on marriage, it's important that we understand that the Bible is telling you, husband, to lead your wife, yes, in the way that Christ led the church. <laughs> exactly as Christ did is what the passage says. You remember what he did? He not only served humanity, gave dignity to every person, but died a gruesome death on a cross. He paid the ultimate sacrifice in service of his bride. And my friend, what about you? That leadership in the marriage, as given here in the, in the book of Ephesians, in the writing of St. Paul, leadership in the marriage is servanthood. It's the same language that we find. To be great in the kingdom is to serve, to be the last, to give of yourself. Today's message is called following a servant. It's oxymoronic because we don't often consider servanthood worth following. We want to follow leadership. We want to follow personality, follow talent, follow skill, follow charisma. But in the Bible, it is teaching us that we are called to follow Christ and Christ is a servant. Our goal today is to build a framework for servanthood, a framework for volunteerism. We'll focus on the local church and serving in the context of our church because that's pertinent to today and we haven't got a lot of time to go in other facets. But let me just say this, that serving in the local church is not the be all and end all of serving Christ. Serving in the local church is not the be all and end all of finding your purpose. Your purpose is found in your identity in Christ and as an expression of that, we serve humanity. I love the church though, I love its people. I love the opportunity that we get to help people, to bring them to Christ, to have that relationship be ignited in their lives. It is important to note that servant leadership is not the construct of church leaders. That servant leadership is introduced to us here through Jesus, that he's the one who brought a radical new way, a radical counterculture way of leading people. He gives us the framework that we so desperately need. Jesus wasn't preaching about filling rosters or doing jobs that you hate or being put in your place or doing something that you're not, you don't feel called to do. But he set an example for us that encouraged us to serve those around us. We follow a servant. Matthew 20, 26 says, it should not be this way among you. The comparison he's making is with um, the authorities and they lord it over you. They lord it over the Gentiles. It shouldn't be this way among you, he says. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be 
a servant. Let me make a few points today that I think encapsulate the way that we think that the Bible is teaching us uh, what it's teaching us about servanthood. And remember, in the context of the church, that's what the series is about. Number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Servanthood is the way of Jesus. Servanthood is the way of Jesus. Jesus came as the ultimate servant. He came to lay down his life. Jesus came to meet our greatest need. You see, our greatest problem is sin, and Jesus came to fulfill that need. Our sin problem was met with his salvation solution. Jesus came to meet our greatest need. He served us in that fashion. Left, right, and center, we see Jesus serving people right through the scriptures, leading by example. He's the ultimate role model. The Bible says, and this is a crazy scripture, in John 13, 14, he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. That is leadership. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to ask you to do what I haven't also done. I'm not going to ask you to do what I haven't done for you that I want you to serve others, wash each other's feet, because I have done it for you. Imagine that moment. And then in the context of the passage here, when, when you would come into someone's home in the ancient Near East, you would um, have dirty feet because you've got sandals on. There's no, there's no Air Jordans. You know, you've got, you got sand, like leather sandals, and they would come in, and you'd take off your sandals, and your feet would be washed by the servant of the house. And they would wash your feet, and that would be something that's a servant a server, servitude, servanthood type role for the house. The master of the house, the, the host would never, would never wash the feet of his or her guests. But in this scenario, not only does Jesus usurp that cultural norm, let's not forget he's God. Let's not forget that Jesus wasn't just the rabbi of the disciples. He wasn't just the leader of the squad that he's God embodied. The Bible says that God put on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Eugene Peterson's wonderful words there in that message translation of the Bible, that Jesus is God and God washed the feet of the disciples, like just to truly, truly break some norms in their lives. He set for us the ultimate example of servanthood. He changed the definition of leadership. It went from lording it over people to serving people. Remember, the context of the time was full of this concept of malevolent gods or idolized deities. The Greek and Roman view of the gods was that they were aloof, they were distant, and they were dangerous. Jesus gave dignity, though, as, as this God-man to every person that he met, including those in clear and obvious sin. He lifted people out of whatever position in life was bringing oppression. He loved people. He lifted people. He touched lives. The Samaritan woman, the 10 lepers, Zacchaeus in a tree, he edified and gave dignity to those people. The biggest slander they had towards him was simple. On the cross, they said, he is a friend of sinners. That, that was the worst thing that they could find to say about Jesus. In other words, Jesus spent time with people. He served people. He preached and prayed and moved through towns and villages, preaching the good news of the gospel and healing every sick. Jesus was others focused. The way of Jesus at its very core is a lifestyle of servanthood. We've come a long way to sitting in the pew judging the sermon, haven't we? We've come a long way to being unhappy with the song choice or how long you know, things might be online. These kind of 
these kind of critiques that we have of, of a church, we've come a long way from being a people that at its very core, at the, at the, at the core um, fundamental characteristic of what it is to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus is to be a servant. So sometimes in church when people critique things, I don't like the way that song is, or that was this and that and the other thing, or the sermon was whatever. If someone has what I call, what I like to term skin in the game, I'll, um, I'll lend an ear. In other words, if we're shoulder to shoulder, serving the people, moving the church forward, I'll gladly hear those concerns. But when someone's a commentator on the sideline who wants to give me feedback, I'm a little less interested, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. But when we are shoulder to shoulder, building and paving and doing something great for God together from that core worship of servanthood, it's so much easier. If you're taking notes, the second thing I'd say is this, is that we are created for good works. Servanthood is the way of Jesus. But secondly, we are created. Note that we are created for good works. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. That's a great scripture right there. It goes on though to say this, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Created for works. Work, stuff, things, activity, service. I think that not only does Jesus want us to serve, but he doesn't just want us to serve because we have to. My belief is that Jesus wants us to serve because we want to, because it's part of this new way of life. I think that it's his desire that we would love serving others. Francis Chang tells an excellent story that um, he, he, uh, he forgot it was Valentine's Day the next day and was out with his wife at, at a friend's house. And I think the friend was catching that, that Francis Chan, who's a, who's, who's a brilliant communicator, author, a church pastor, a, a voice in the church today, um, that he, he, she was catching that he didn't have a gift for his wife. So she's like, you know, Francis, here's a card. You know, um, I can see you probably on the back foot. And it was, it was late the night before Valentine. Thank you so much. Gets home, writes in the card, love you so much, honey. Goes out, cuts a single rose, puts the single rose on the, on the countertop with the card, wakes up at six, goes to work. He's home at 6 p.m. thinking he's just absolutely crushed. Gets home and his wife's like, oh, thanks for the flower, honey. That was amazing. Thanks for the card. Um, uh, do we have, um, have you got a babysitter for this evening organized so that we can um, maybe go out and have a date together? Oh, I don't run out of time. Just flat out and meetings back to back and begins to tell her about his day. And then she's like, honey, do you mind if I, um, can I ask you a question? And she's like, yeah, of course. And she says, um, you know the card you wrote for me? And he's like, yep, yep. She says, um, you know they come in a 12-pack from Costco? And I saw one last night when we were out with friends. I saw the packet. Like, did you just, did you just borrow a card from them for me? And it just dawns on him that he's just really, really done a terrible job of honoring his wife on Valentine's Day. And he's like, oh, yeah. Uh, that's exactly what I did. And, you know, she's kind of like, literally goes to the kitchen because they haven't got dinner plans, makes a sandwich and then, you know, goes to bed. And he's just feeling it. And so he just knows the next time round, not out of obligation to his wife, but out of a sacrificial love, the next time round when there's an anniversary, birthday, Valentine's Day, he's got to step up his game. So he goes on to tell a story about for the anniversary that, that came up a few months later, that he recorded time in the studio, that he, he booked, paid for a studio, went into a studio and wrote his wife a love song. And it was a rap song and played it to her on their anniversary day. It was a two, three minute song and had a chorus and a bridge and like three verses. And it was like a 90s hip hop song. 
and she was genuinely impacted and burst into tears. Is a flower in a card better than a song? Is a song better than a flower in a card? It's got nothing to do with the object of the devotion, but the, the time and the sacrifice, the effort that he put in to honor his wife. And, and I think for us, the obligation of serving Jesus in the church is not, is not the goal. The obligation of serving Jesus in church and serving others and building the church out of a, a, a sense like I have to is not the goal. The goal is, is that we would want to, that we would love it. This great tension in the Bible, it, two verses earlier, Ephesians 2, 8 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, saved by grace, not by works, the Bible says, so that no man can boast. In other words, we're created for works, but not saved by those works. That is such an important tension, such an important difference. I'm saved by grace, not works, but I've been created for works. It's part of my role as a follower of Christ. This is not a time for us to roll out a QR code so that you can join a team. That would be an oversimplification of what we're trying to say or what the verse is speaking to us about. But serving in the local church is an excellent way to outwork the expression of those works in your life, but not out of obligation, out of a spirit of love and joy. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, or another translation says, the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. That's tough who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Verse 7, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. The next verse says, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Humility, servanthood, not viewing his relationship with God as something to be uh, taken advantage of. He gave up his life that the way of Christ is servanthood and we've been created for works. And number three, if you're taking notes, ultimately, servanthood is worship to God. This is an important point and maybe the most important point that we'll make here today. It's important that we understand that as we volunteer, as we offer up, as we give of ourselves, we do so with the attitude of humble and joyful service to God for the building of His house, and his cause here on the earth, that our goal is to humbly and reverently serve him as we serve people. Therefore, Romans 12:1 says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, as a living sacrifice, as we offer up in servanthood our lives to Him, that it's pleasing to God because it's worship. Servanthood is worship and it's pleasing to God. That's a great verse. That in view of His mercy, offer up your life as a living sacrifice. That's an oxymoron. A sacrifice is dead. A sacrifice is not alive. But we are a living, breathing, moving, acting, thinking feeling sacrifice. What I'm trying to say here is that you should never feel twisted, pressured, manipulated. But understand that an opportunity to serve others is worship to God. That we need you, 100%. Don't get me wrong. We've got rosters to fill. <laughs> Things in the church have to be done to keep it moving for us to fulfill what we feel like we're here to do, which is serve the world. 
But in order to be a healthy, functional family of faith, we need, we need you to help. We need you to be involved. We need you to serve and volunteer. You're a royal priesthood with priestly duties. But the goal is, is that we do that out of worship to God, worship for Him, that there can't be room for coercion because I don't think with coercion that God would allow that in the space for His church and that pressure and that, and that sense like, I have to, I feel like I'm, no, 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 worship to God. And if you feel like that's happening, in this church, then we can talk about that and say, no, 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 that's not the goal. The goal is, is that we, we, we follow the way of Christ through servanthood. That is good works that we've been created for, but we do it from a heart of worship. Romans 12, 6 through 8 says this, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If your gift is serving, then serve. Teaching, then teach. Encourage, give encouragement. Giving, then give generously. Lead, do it diligently. Show mercy, do it cheerfully. If this, then this. If this, then this. If it's this, then this. If your gift is this, then this. In other words, I just feel like this, the message is clear. If you have gifts, use them. Build up the saints. Invest. Yeah, you're good at that? Go for it, 100%. Apostle Paul's not like, jump through these hips. He's like, if you're this, then this. You want to do that? Let's do it. But ultimately, servanthood is worship to God. He's our leader, our king, our, our father in heaven. We serve him. Ephesians 6 and 7, this will be the last passage I read to you today, says this, serve with goodwill. Amen. As to the Lord and not to men, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever he does. Let me read it again. Serve with goodwill as to the Lord and not to men. That there's this little dichotomy that's taking place. Like I serve on muscle. Jaden leads the muscle team. That I'm serving Jaden when I serve on muscle. 100%. I serve Caitlin when I'm serving on the front door. For sure. Like serving in the kids ministry, I'm serving the leadership. For sure. Serving worship, I'm serving Chris. 100%. Someone does some video work, they're serving Chris. Great. But at the same time, I'm serving Chris or Caitlin or, or whomever as to the Lord and not to men. So I serve Chris in the worship team. I honor him as the worship team leader. He's the guy. But, but, and you're like, Give me a call up. But at the same time, I'm serving unto the Lord and not to Chris. Don't get it twisted. There's authority and there's uplines and there's a way that it works and that's biblical. But at the same time in my heart, I'm not serving Chris. I'm serving Chris, but at the same time, I'm serving Jesus and being able to partner those two things together. There's an important note here that I think is that I don't serve to gain anything from God. I don't serve to gain love from God because I understand that He already loves me. I volunteer of my time, my money, my expertise because I love Him and it is my pleasure and it is His good pleasure as I worship Him. Chris Spencer, to bring him up again, so brilliantly preached the other week on worship. And it is clear through that message, one thing was clear, that worship isn't just singing. In fact, the point of this whole sermon was that anything can be worship if you decide for it. For a single mum raising kids, for a married mum raising kids, that's worship. For a dad financially surviving the pandemic, that's worship. For someone hustling to get their business off the ground, that's worship for students diligently studying in school, that's worship. For someone swimming at the beach, having a good time, that is worship. Serve, as Ephesians 6, 7 declares, as to the Lord. And when we understand this concept, that serving in the church, serving people in the community, is worship as to the Lord, it adds a whole new dynamic to whatever it is that you put your hands to. Because when you put your hands to something and it's worship, you make it differently. Nadia always talks about, uh, from the context of food, 
she always talks about um, uh, food made with love. I'm like, babe, this dinner's amazing. She's like, made with love. She gets served food, she look at me, made with love. You get to a, a restaurant and you get served food, it's not quite cut in mustard. She's like, it's because it wasn't made with love. Make it with love. Serve unto the Lord. Do it with love. Be the kind of person that is so worshipful in the way that you sanitize those chairs, hand out those flyers, and greet people at the front door, go to work on Monday, serve in the community with love as worship unto the Lord. You might be here today and you're saying, I, I find it hard to do that because I don't know who he is. I don't have a relationship with the Lord. Well, I'm so glad that you're here today because there are many, many people who are part of our online campus and a part of our church that are walking with Jesus and would love to partner with you in that process. If you're from Kingston, Caleb and Alex would love to be a part of that. From Toronto, Jay and Christine love to be a part of that journey. And overall in our online campus, Sean and Dory, our campus pastors, online campus pastors would love to be a part of that journey with you. That I would love to today bring you to a point where you can understand that Jesus paid the ultimate price and sacrifice out of worship to the Father to die on the cross for you, that he laid down his life freely, which is why we follow a servant. That today, if you're here, you're saying, I, I, I'm not walking with God, I'm not right with him, I don't know Jesus, then I would love to, friend, pray a prayer with you to get you in right relationship with God. If you could pray a prayer in faith and believe that as you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And so friend, if that's you, I'd love for you in just one second. I'm going to close my eyes and lead you in a prayer. And I would love for you to do the same. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I ask you, forgive me of my sin. And I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Love you so much. So stoked you made that decision. It's going to be a prayer partner. It's going to give you a chance to like talk that through and pray that through. We'd love to partner with you in that journey. Love you so much, church. Thanks for listening today. Serve local. We'll see you next week for whatever goodness is coming next week. Back to the MC. We are so glad you joined us for the Local Church Podcast. To get connected, please follow us on social media and check out our website for groups and other ways to get involved.